Hello and welcome to this podcast series brought to you by Connect Health Tech. Connect Health Tech is Cambridge University's Enterprise Zone, the gateway into the university's life sciences and health tech community for collaborators, companies and investors. I'm Paula Rogers-Brown, Business Community Manager for Connect Health Tech, and in this episode we explore the theme of hybrid events, which have become more critical to organisations and individuals worldwide since the early part of 2020. One nucleus, like many businesses, has navigated the uncertainty the pandemic brought and pivoted its very successful Genesis event from a physical to a hybrid format. Joining me today is Aileen Charpentier, Head of Innovation Support at One Nucleus, who joined the organisation in 2010. Aileen has covered various roles, including European projects and strategic partnerships development now managing the Virtual Innovation Centre to support the network's biotech R&D in their growth activities. Previous roles have included working on technology transfer programmes for the scientific services of the French Embassy in the USA and tech scouting at a French government research organisation. Aileen holds an MSc in biochemistry from the University of Toulouse and an MBA from Grenoble School of Management. Hi Aileen, and thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. So let's start off with a little bit about you. So tell me more about yourself and how you started your career journey. Hi Paula, and thank you for having me and thank you for the really kind introduction. What can I say after that? <laughs> I think you, you said it all, maybe just a few words on the interest. So obviously trained on the science side to start with, which has always been the passion, but I think realized well, shortly after graduating my master's, that maybe being a scientist was not exactly for me. I think I have a great admiration for them. It requires so much dedication and patience that I probably didn't have. And therefore, I felt I could be more useful on the business end of it. And I think by business, it's more this this innovation sweet spot. So it's how you convert technologies into something that can become you know, products or on the market, etc. So um, that's more or less what I after that it's this support of innovation in one form or another sometimes more on the technology side so looking at the exciting new technologies and how we could develop them um, sometimes enabling more collaboration for those who are developing and, and commercializing the technologies so working with technology transfer offices for example and yes now with one nucleus being in back to the core biotech which is i think the science close to my heart uh, and I think in the most vibrant European region in that space. And uh, I'm very, very proud to be there. So what takes an average day? What does that look like for you? Oh, there is no average day, <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> that, that's the easy you know, way out. But uh, yeah, well, you know, when you close, we are we are a small team and we are working on many activities at the same time. So I think, yes. That's a that's a true answer. There is no average day, but to give you a flavor, I think a, a day is always involving a little bit of this, you know, more strategic thinking and involving external stakeholders. So they will be, I don't know, preparing a presentation about the Cambridge Biotech ecosystem for French companies who are looking at visiting or could be writing a paper about, uh, I don't know, the deal activity. So something that is reflecting on, on the region as a whole. 
uh, there will be definitely things to discuss with colleagues and actually having a coffee with them is always really nice, especially now we're back a little bit more in the office. Um, but just to catch up on what everyone is doing, because everyone is so busy that sometimes you you um, you don't necessarily uh, do that. And that's important, I think, to take the time. Uh, there's lots of external um, implication and, and uh people contacting you for things. So it's just, you know, this sort of answering back, which uh, you tend to, to do a bit later during your day, catching up on these like, you know, hundreds of emails that you've got and you have to answer to. <laughs> but that's important because, you know, you're, you're the encourage point for, you know, this this um, life science in Cambridge. And so that's important. Um, and then working on, for example, our conferences. So we have two large conferences a year and they take a lot of my time during the entire year shaping the program and engaging um, potential sponsors, etc., uh, and then more on one nucleus network level. That's also talking with the strategic partners that we have. Um, again, shaping the content, understanding the needs, what what you know companies need to understand better, who they need to meet, etc. It's a, it's really um, an iterative process. So uh, it's always to make sure that we are at the top. Yeah. So, yeah. So meetings, emails like everyone else, but on very different topics. And it's, it sounds like with your role, um, it, it's a, it's, it has a myriad of factors um, going on there. You, you from, from, you know, event um, program design and relationship management, stakeholder management, um, and you, with that scientific background there, what's been the most important skill you think you've developed along the career pathway for yourself no i think the most important one and i'm i'm serious here that's really this um ab ability to zoom in zoom out all the time which actually i really enjoy so having at the time this more really top level strategic thinking about how we're going to develop things what are the big questions the big picture type thing and then mm -hmm. to get more into the delivery of them uh and to always go back and forth um this guy is a phrenic, but uh, I, I like it. <laughs> yeah, but enjoyable as well. Enjoyable. What sort of things or, or who inspires you? I think the type of people who inspire me are the ones who are passionate by what they do. So very often it could be entrepreneurs or but it, it could be someone who just have a new idea for setting up a charity. But all those were just driven by passion. I don't necessarily know how to do the things, uh, but they just go for it and, and, and nothing can stop. Um, and, and maybe even more because I wouldn't define myself like that. Uh, so I admire them even more, but I am, I, I'm, a, I, I'm the one who could help them. And so that's yeah. why it's great. Uh, I think we, we, would do, we would do good teams. So uh, that's why I admire them and I really want to, to help yeah. and support. So yeah, the ones who are, yeah, very just 100% patient driven and uh, I think that's a really, really inspiring skill to have. Fantastic, lovely, lovely. Well, tell me a, a little bit more about um, about uh, the, the sector. In a in the recent One Nucleus annual report, you wrote that the biotech sector achieved a record 2.8 billion in investment in 2020. Well, what can you tell me about the current trends for investment in the UK life science and health tech sectors? And what are some of the key drivers you're seeing there from the One Nucleus perspective? 
So that's a really good timing because the other annual review will be issued in a couple of months. And I think what's going to be written is probably another record year. Hey. Wow. <laughs> okay. um, so these figures are, are based on the really good investment report that the BIA issue every January, I think. Uh, so to look at well, private capital investment and, and public markets, etc. And, and yes, we laugh because we keep using record year every year. That's going to start at some point, I suspect. Um, so um, more of the same, uh, more investment, more interest. Um, I think the, the really good positive is that th there is a very genuine big interest into the UK life science space. It's always been really acknowledged and recognized for its excellency in academic research and, and also capacity somehow to translate science. But it's even more so this year. Yes, accelerated by the pandemic and the fact that the license sectors was put into the spotlight and perhaps there were less opportunities for other type of investment, but any opportunity is good to take. Um, so I think that trend of interest is definitely here to say. I think what it's bringing is, is maybe larger rounds coming earlier, which is okay. a really positive in the sense that it's going to help companies maybe to accelerate a little bit their development, accelerate the development of skills and managerial skills within organization. Um, I, I guess what we will need to see is how that's delivered. So how much these very highly expected milestones are reached, and I'm sure they will, mm -hmm. uh, but also to be able that, to cope with the operational side of that. Uh, company growth is amazing, but it means that you need space, you need people, you need the right people, and the, just to, yeah, to, to make sure that the, the, the sector, the region is coping with that, and uh, we're trying to help, but we're not a magician. <laughs> so no, to be it's, it's a difficult one, isn't it? That's the dilemma there is that you want you want high growth, you want real growth and traction with startups and, and scale-ups, but that does put pressures on other areas such as skills, retention of talent, um, lab space, et cetera, and other facilities that are needed within life sciences, et cetera. So um, it, it's great, it's, it's great, but it's managing, it's, it's the region being able to, you're absolutely right, it's that region being, regional perspective of being able to manage that throughput of growth there. Um, and you, you touched upon the pandemic, which leads me to thinking, how how has the, the pandemic affected the provision of innovation support? You know, what adaptations um, have you made to continue with your high level of, of support to, to One Nucleus members? Oh, so yes, yeah, so from One Nucleus. Um, yeah, well, like everyone else, we adapted. <laughs> so I, I think to paint a very quick picture of what type of innovation support is provided within One Nucleus, some of them are very tangible and sort of R&D related. So it's the support with uh, procurement, for example, the savings companies can make on their lab, lab equipment and lab consumables, the, the help with facility and facility move. And it, it was indeed slightly affected, um, although I have to say maybe on, on the procurement side, Brexit was another component that affected it even more, but that, that, that's um, another topic. But I think it was at the very beginning of the pandemic, very quickly, the labs still needed to operate and they were. So it was just to adapt to that. And, and my colleague who looks after that, he, he, he started to be as busy as usual, even not more, um, very quickly after. 
Um, I guess the other side is more the soft aspect. So it's supporting companies on their skills development, supporting companies on this recruitment question, nurturing their employees, um, uh, supporting on giving them opportunities to to be visible. That's another element of being part of the network is to to make sure that the companies are showcased as they wish so then they can make the right connection and i have to say that that's probably the 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 point that changed the most because suddenly you're completely not able to have any face-to-face events so it's how you make this networking you know and then connections face to face and have the coffee with the right person um so yes that was i think that the biggest transition to it is how we enable that so uh, very quickly we 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 try to really push more in in having more visibility online so having more social media more communication making sure we were communicating what our members were doing as well because there were there were an amazing response you know in in this first lockdown for example in terms of supporting testing capacity and enabling you know staff back to work so just to make sure that was there so so they were still shown as doing as doing the right thing uh and then it was yeah, adapting the events uh which i have to say resulting in probably doing many more of them <laughs> because yeah. suddenly people they had more time uh even scientists were a bit, bit more home and so they had time to to train in some aspects or to have more educational sessions which, which was great it was just uh, making sure we were making all the the most of of the time so yes a lot was about converting online and converting online events and yeah everybody's been in the same boat with with converting what their 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 existing um activities into online features Uh, did this lead to the virtual innovation center um you know you know I, i saw that on the website so so tell me a little bit more about that and um what it's set up to do and who it's for yes sure um I'm not sure that led to it, although maybe virtual was an opportunistic response. But yeah, the, the driver for putting this virtual innovation center together uh, is really first an observation of what One Nucleus was already delivering before. Yes. Which was actually support to innovation to companies because that was really enabling these companies to grow to again supporting them on their operational development supporting yeah. them on the network development and skills development etc um but then we we matched that with another observation which was that there was um more and more support provided for the very early stage early stage companies which is great because that was needed so all this really good accelerator programs like start cotton accelerate at babram or the illumina one that sort of started at, at the same time they were suddenly bringing more visibility to these early stage companies supporting them as well very yeah. tangibly with funding with mentoring etc mm-hmm. um and i think it was really good for them to reach a stage that was sort of raising a bit of seed funding or uh, and going as far as that making good connections within the region so we felt one not trying to match what we're doing with these companies who are nurtured and really well supported and then suddenly need to become more companies more than entrepreneurs that makes sense so 
you become an organization. So you're not uh, two men Ben anymore. You need to recruit your scientific team. Mm -hmm. You need to find your lab space. Yeah. Uh, so you need all this operational growth that honestly is a bit less sexy <laughs> than, you know, doing the whole technology fundraising, etc. But still you need to do it to be successful. Uh, and we thought, why not bringing the one nucleus expertise to that? Um, and also, you suddenly become more active deal maker. That makes sense. So it's not just about developing the network and making these initial connections. It's finding your next technology development partner. It's to find your CROs if you're in the drug discovery space. So it's to find all these relationships and making sure you are setting them up right. You need the right contracts in place, etc. So again, that's probably the less sexy part of making the deals but still that has to happen and and we had that within the network and we felt that would be a really good really good use so so that was initial idea uh, we didn't want to make it very heavy uh, bootcamp type program because again the companies are at the stage where they know what they're doing they don't they don't need the you know fundraising 101 etc they had that before they just need a more bespoke support uh, so that's what we do with these companies is just talking to them, bringing the expertise that's within the network and they need and putting some, I would say, more mature educational sessions together for them. So we run them about once a month um, on this topic and they can join as they wish, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But it's a really necessary part in putting the team together, the right team and making sure making sure you have that level of business support to help you move on the, the growth phase of your company. So do you have a particular story um, or, or innovation or growth success story for One Nucleus that you could share with the audience? Yeah, well, we have many. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think, sure. when we, yeah, but, yeah, but also when we prepared it, uh, it, it's just to put the caveat of, of course, we're supporting them, but mm. uh, ultimately that's the companies who are, you know, uh, the owner of their own success, if that makes sense. But yes, we, we've worked with, with a few companies in the past and, and that's completely public, like, uh, um, uh, for example, the the Senga Spinout Microbiotica, who were originally on the Welcome Genome Campus and, and working on, on this space and raised a significant amount of money and so needed a new lab space. And so, I, as I said, I have a colleague in my team in One Nucleus who really helps these companies at this stage to, um, to put their facility together, so to find the space, to then uh, work with the, all the specifications that they need and then to put everything in place. So when they are ready they just need to bring the scientists and start the good science to go um that one is particularly important because everything happened during lockdown <laughs> so that was a, an additional layer of challenge but now they're all up and running and looking shiny and and they have really good collaboration going on with existing with some pharma companies again of which we are absolutely not claiming you know the the, the win on that but uh, we know that having this local connectivity really helped them to do that um, and um, and yes and they're looking for successful development so that's uh, that, that's one of the many great stories that we have. That's fantastic thank you thank you so much there Aileen. Let's get into talking about hybrid events and um, that's the, the focus and um, of this particular podcast. Um, and I know that One Nucleus runs a number of events throughout the year. They have the One Helix and Genesis, which we will talk about. Um, 
and they're very successful. Genesis being an, a, an annual flagship that focuses on investment technology development and sector deal trends. And if we look at the past couple of years in 2019, um, Genesis was held as a face-to-face in London. Fast forward to 2020, it moved to a digital only format. And then in December 2021, we switched to a hybrid model. So you've quickly pivoted from full physical to online only, and now we're pivoting again. Talk me through the the key considerations back in 2020, 2021, so we're right in the, the heat of the pandemic, when having run the event successfully as a fully digital one, the decision was made, we're going hybrid. Talk me through those key considerations there. <laughs> There's a, there's a rather easy one. <laughs> I think these events work much better face-to-face <laughs> in general. So the reason for moving to digital, it, it, it was forced in a way. It's because nothing else was available. But still, we really wanted to have, as I said earlier, something to offer members or anyone within the One Nucleus Network to do so whether there was to share knowledge make contact having this partnering element so it was a no-brainer yes we had to deliver a digital conference at this stage uh, because we wanted them to do something and that was just the best best option available so when things reopen a little bit more we think mm, the face-to-face one is probably good however because we did digital we felt well there may be some elements that actually are interesting to retain within a digital format and that's where the decision for going for a hybrid model um, and so just to 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 specify it's not a hybrid audience it's really a, a model where we mix some elements of face-to-face and some elements of digital was making perfectly sense um, so our rationale and I'm not saying that should be everyone's uh, it, it's just because that was the one we felt was working better for that format and, and for our audience um, was to think that um, the the networking elements, so the impromptu meeting, the serendipity of, ooh, have you met such and such, and, you know, and just grabbing a coffee with someone, that's, I think, impossible to reproduce perfectly online. Uh, we all tried, and I, I've never been to an event that, that did it as well as face-to-face. Um, I think in terms of discussions, um, having these panels where you have more top level insights uh, and and, uh, less technical ones, it it also works better live. Mm -hmm. So that's why we felt, okay, we have a day that is focused and dedicated to in-person and we have top level discussions and networking only. However, the one-to-one meetings where you are doing your homework, you're selecting the people you really want to organize a meeting with uh, because you have something to pitch very, you know, precise. Mm-hmm. It's actually working well online. Um, I've done that in some big partnering conference. It's, you know, you you send message in advance, you do a bit of preparation, and then it's, it's making it very efficient. So we found that that component of partnering was actually better online. So we kept that, but not on the face-to-face day. Face-to-face was just to reconnect <laughs> in person yes. and having people yeah. back in the room. Um, and the, the, the virtual meetings, they happened on the days around and people were very happy with that. Um, that also enabled to have a wider audience. So Genesis tends to attract some international delegates, which back in 2021 was still difficult to um, 
arranged. So that was a way of of um, compensating that and still having them and 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 enriching a bit the audience. So for our network to also meet with the internationals, and similarly with the sessions, we kept some sessions on the days around H to D. That again, the ones that we felt were working well online and they tend to be the ones that are more technical insights. Okay. Typically, this workshop that is about, I don't know, the specific uh, drug delivery mechanism or, or, or drug conjugation. It's a lot of data presented. This work well online. So uh, we kept that and, and we, had, um, we had a good sign up for the online sessions. The benefits is also they are recorded so people can get back to it later on. Uh, and you realize that you probably have more people watching them afterwards than live, but still it's just good content that is generated. So mm-hmm. that answers the question. Yeah, <laughs> it's interesting. Um, it, it's it's something I'm hearing more and more about them because the pandemic made it massively challenging for anyone running um, a, an events program. Um, but the, what I'm hearing more and more is that needing to switch to an online format has had many benefits and it's been one of them key um has been to open up their research work and their projects and their networks and communities to this wider audience because attendees didn't need to be in a physical location and 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 that's what I'm, i'm hearing from you there that that um digital element has enhanced um, the, the the Genesis event and in terms of it, of thinking about that that hybrid model, um, did those elements in planning um, influence going to that hybrid model? You know, well this works better face to face and this works better as a is online. Uh, you know, were, were those some of the the factors of influence there? Yes, there were because I think before going for that we had our own events, but also we attended others' events, and again, different style, different size. So we had our own, I would say, delegate experience as well to, to fit into. Um, and and I think we, yeah, we came with this, I don't know if that's true or not, but I, I still think it is, that there are some elements that can be maintained digitally and they work, uh, and others that actually more related to the human nature or wanted to do business you know are, are better in person so that's sort of how we separated the two thinking okay there is this part in person this part digital um it was also the context i'm not saying that's going to remain the same for years and years to come we'll see mm-hmm. uh, but i think at the moment it's more or less where where we're heading to uh but you write this this conference and and again we'll see um i, I don't think we've seen a large conference in the sector. So, for example, I'm thinking the, you know, Bio, JP Morgan, even the, the Bio Europe conferences. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they haven't come back face to face completely, and and everyone is really curious to see how that's going to play because, yeah, uh, yeah, you have. And some people are schizophrenic with that. They're like, oh, yeah, I really want to go. But then actually it's that, you know, many days out of the office and the carbon footprint of that. So you've got all the elements that are starting to to play into it. And, yeah. Uh, and it's a learning journey, isn't it? You know, yeah. nobody, nobody expected to to have to to do and adapt their, their events in the way that they're having a very short space of time. So everybody's on that learning journey and, and looking to see, oh, okay, I wonder what bits they did and how did it all work out? So, yeah. you know, 
all advice you can give Aileen is 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 fantastic for our audience. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I, and again, as you said, it, it's really relating to your audience, and I, I think for us, uh, we're lucky in the sense that our audience is mostly our network audience. So yeah. we we're not conference organizers. That's not our you know bread and butter. But we do conferences because they are important for the network. Therefore, we know that's it's it's a more local even if it could be wide national, but still local audience. So, so we have less of these big traveling considerations. But, but yeah, it's good. Were there any major concerns leading up to the hybrid event last year? And, and how, did they, how did they work out? Um, I think because we, we kind of kept the two sort of separated, so the in-person element versus the digital one, um, that's what made it easier to manage. The in-person that sort of went back to a 2019, you know, conference where you have people coming, you have to think about ordering your catering. Um, although that's not on that that's that note, sorry. It's funny because um my colleague who organized that and, and deal with all the logistics. So it's funny how you forget. I spent two years doing digital conference and suddenly I realized I have to order coffee for you. <laughs> <laughs> um but, but yeah, I don't think there were major fear. I think that the, the biggest question mark was around the spread of delegates. So to know how many will sign up online, how many will sign up face to face, um, especially because end of last year, there was still a bit of uncertainties. Uh, so I think it was just to deal with that. So, for example, we enable people to sign up for digital and then to upgrade if they wanted to so we were flexible on this to uh, to enable that uncertainty that we were sharing to be honest so i think i um, think you have to i think that's that's great in being able to um incorporate that flexibility there and and, and possibly something that, that others can think about as well is now one of the things um i'd like to talk about is the adaptation in particular, as you said, you've, you've incorporated um, flexible elements. Um, but as we know, in anyone running an event, large or small, and even greater to do in a digital format is recreating that networking atmosphere. What measures did you incorporate um, during the Genesis event last year to achieve a positive and full delegate experience for the online attendees and then also the in-person attendees? Hmm. Um, in person, uh, again, it was easy. They were so happy to be perfect. <laughs> Uh, I think, connection. Yeah, it's that connection again, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, uh, I think that was the easiest to please audience I've ever seen, <laughs> <laughs> including me. I was so happy to be there. Um, no, but, but so I think in person again, that, that comes back to what we were doing before. So it, it's just, you know, to have the, the right length of breaks and the right area so they can have this networking. I think the content of the event is also important because that's creating uh, opportunities for discussions afterwards, that's creating a framework for that, so, so that's very important. Um, the 2021 element was obviously to make sure everyone was comfortable, so there were, you know, all the COVID uh, measures in place that are, you know, relating to the venue, etc. So um, 
that just eased it because once it was stated and everyone was happy with that, you know, you, you were not thinking about it all the time. Um, and then for the digital ones, uh, so as I said, the digital part was separated. So, for example, on the day, uh, the sessions were not live streamed. We decided that that was not really working well. Uh, if people wanted to watch the session, they could watch them afterwards. But creating an interaction with um, a digital audience when you're live, I think, is really hard. Um, so... Yeah, that, that wasn't for us, but I know some, some people do and, and they make it work, but that requires a lot of, I think, technology and lots of people behind it who are making sure that works. I think the interaction for the digital audience that was more within the app, so we have an, have an app, um, so this is where people can, you know, post uh, messages, quests that they have, start to interact with people. There is a sort of um, networking corridor on this app so uh, if you are online and you're not sure what to do you can you know uh, see a bubble of someone floating like oh I don't know this person I'm going to click on them and say hi um, so all this you know digital interactions that, that are made uh, possible with the app um, but yeah it's relying on the technology a lot so. yeah just while we're on that because that's um that, that, that's something that doesn't always go the way you expect and technology is playing an even more critical role when developing a digital or hybrid event. What's been your experience of finding the right technology fit and those supplies that go alongside that? Because it's not all platforms are the same and it can influence your decision whether to live stream or or do it on demand. You know, how easy or difficult has this been in the technology element? So we were lucky in the sense that we started to use Evans app before pandemic. So uh -huh. yes, so mm -hmm. we thought, ooh, let's go green and stop, you know, printing the shiny programs and you know have everything on an app. Also because the app enables you to do this partnering thing even when they were still face to face. So we had that thing two or three years even before COVID. Um, I have to admit that this is when we had all the, the technical finding the right app thing. So that, <laughs> that's good. And you're right. It, it's really hard because un, until you tried them, you can't really know. <laughs> so you can have all the demo in the world and, you know, and all the great presentations. But yeah, until you do it with your own system, it, you, you're not sure what's right for you. Um, so we had an app that was... The, we like to use uh, and we just carried on with them. Um, we've been approached by others, obviously. Uh, I saw some platforms that are really good. I think the other consideration is to make sure to not go for something too sophisticated for the needs. Um, uh, yeah, I've seen some platforms that look really, really good. And, and honestly, that was not the cost that was an issue. It was more the, do we need all these functionalities? They look cool on the paper, but it's just more functionality to deal with. And it's more functionality to explain to your audience. So um, I think we always kept it on a simple, but yet very efficient app. And we're very happy with it. So we're keeping. And also uh, that's coming back to the audience. You, you, you sort of educate your audience to that. Uh, I'm not saying Genesis delegates are the same, you know, one after the other, but you always have this percentage of people because they are from the network. They've okay. used it before. So it's much easier for them to go on it and engage uh, quicker and, and, and earlier. So, uh, so yeah, on, on technology, I don't have a magic, you know, thing. I think recommendations definitely is to ask, you know, uh, people. And I'm happy to share ours. Um, and, and yeah, and then to, 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 
yeah, to, to make sure you don't go for something too sophisticated. I've seen, yeah, so many far too complicated things going on that are great for thousands and thousands of delegates, you know, conferences, but, you know, we're talking of 300 delegates here. So <laughs> that's the I think that's really great advice. I think using an event app, I, I've used it in, in events, yes, like five years or more ago. And it's been a real, it's been a good way to support the yeah. connecting and networking elements. And of course, in, during a pandemic, bringing that to the fore. And I think really great advice there, Aileen, and keep it simple, not too much sophistication and functionalities that people are more worried about which buttons to press when you know they should be actually getting into the networking or meeting that person that's stood by the water mission, water cooler, you know, that type of thing. Um, I think that's really, really great advice there you've, you've given, particularly around that technology side, because it can be a, a minefield in in um, in trying to navigate your way through to what will work for your event. Oh yeah, definitely. And 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 the other thing we did that I would do again is uh, so for smaller events you don't need you just get everyone to log in on their Zoom or, or whatever. No, that's fine. But for the conferences we used um, uh, a video digital content company that again we worked with before, uh, but they shifted everything into digital and actually that was that was good to rely on them for doing the live you know broadcast because mm. suddenly you have maybe a panel of people from everywhere in the world and you know had hundreds of people connecting on it so yeah just to release a bit the pressure on that and to make it look more professional as well because they can bring in, you know, the, the, the subtitles at the bottom and they can, you know, press put someone forward, etc. So uh, so I think yeah for for a larger conference maybe having someone helping you with that is, is a good yeah thing. it takes the pressure off yourself as uh, you know as the organizer and many within yeah. connect health tech don't like yourselves not event organizers but as part of your 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 strategy your public engagement events do form part of that so yeah. you know it, it does fall into an organization or a, a department or, or school that yes you have to run some events so for the right event i think uh, you're absolutely right of bringing in a professional team that can support you in delivering um the online technology elements is a, a really a really good thing to do so in just it, looking at this overall what would you say are the the three or five things that you think are really important to know um, that you could share right now to our audience um, in in creating effective hybrid events what would that be those top three or five things from you Aileen? Um, stating the obvious but knowing the audience who are you doing that for and and what they're expecting out of it um, because that relates to all these questions about what you will deliver. Uh, they may just be interested in the content, so you don't need to bring, you know, a networking or partnering element. So it's just yet yeah, to make sure you understand really well who they are and what they're expecting. Um, again, I reinforce not get it, making it too complicated and, and try to overthink the platform and having something too shiny and sophisticated. Um, I think, yes, at the end of the day, people want to watch something, to make contact and to ask questions eventually. So, uh, yeah, that, that's very schematic with that. Um, yeah, and to don't hesitate to take and seek help um, outside. Um, I think it's to our knowledge, and especially more with hybrids, 
uh, it requires a bit more of this evidence or, or yeah, or technology side of it type skills. Um, for example, if you're looking at at um, you know broadcasting or, or live casting, suddenly you you fall into all these nearly TV terms of you know oh so you need to deal with your transition and then you have someone yeah. who needs to do the introduction. <laughs> uh, you know when I was doing live event, it's easy. I'm just coming, say inviting people to join, and they talk, and that's it. Exactly. So suddenly you have to formalize <laughs> that. And like that's not my job. I have no idea how to do that. So. Um, so yeah, to not hesitate to, to seek for help, I think. Uh, but yeah, the, the key key one is just figuring out what you want to do and why you want to do that. Yeah. Um, what elements would you not repeat? Being in lockdown for two years. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think I have much control on that. Uh, no, I, I think if there's one element that I think we did for Genesis 2020, uh, that was to retain the parallel streams. So, you know, conferences, sometimes oh. you have parallel streams. That's good because yeah. you're putting much more content together. If you're in a live streaming uh, context or, or hybrid or other, not. <laughs> I think there was just adding complexity and, and, and work for, yeah, for not huge benefits, especially now because you could... For example, for the for the new Genesis, even in live, in, in person, we just have one stream. This is where we keep the really top level discussions. And if we want to have other panels, then we can just record them. So we record them in advance and we put them as video watch on demand on the app. So I, I think we are getting rid of the parallel sessions for a long time yeah. <laughs> in general. <laughs> Um, and also that's focusing your audience at the same place and having the same conversation, which I think is interesting, again, for that size of, of events. So that's, a, that's an interesting perspective. Yeah. From this whole experience, what lessons have you learned that you would be happy to share? To rely on the team, basically. So to work on everyone's strengths, especially when you're evolving a bit the model, maybe you realize that. I, I don't know that the person who knows more about broadcasting is not necessarily sitting in marketing, maybe there's somewhere else. And so to, to leverage that and to um, make sure communication within the team who is organizing the event is, is always uh, spot on uh, and to make it as live as possible. I think that that's another element is because that was not just about delivering digital events, for example, it was also to deliver them uh digitally <laughs> so all from home <laughs> so uh yeah so i think the team element here is very important so uh just to make sure you you know each other well and, and you communicate well all together uh and and sometimes you just step up or step down from what you're supposed to do because well you're the best or the worst place to do that thing <laughs> and i think that you, you touched upon it earlier in talking about the the, the planning side of things is um is drawing on the strengths um, of the team. We haven't really touched upon that, but uh, it's it's a really key factor in developing an existing and successful event um, and, and really drawing on those skills. Because as you said, they might not be in the room with you right now. If somebody's got IT skills that you need to bring in um, because you're going to be doing some more digital stuff, then, you know, if they're not already within the core team that's organising this event, then, yeah, they will need to be drafted in. And, and then also knowing when to, OK, I probably need to take a step back here because others know more than me. And it, it's just, as you said, once you have a good, effective, communicative team working together, you can really maximise the potential then 
of your your event and what you're trying to achieve. I, I, I think that's a really um, some sage advice there. Um, so, so thank you for that. Um, now, looking forward to this year's Genesis event, which will be on the 7th of December 2022. Are you able to share some of the highlights that attendees can expect to see or is it still top secret? <laughs> never top secret uh so yes we have a date which is amazing i'm not sure we even have Yay! a date at this stage last year <laughs> so we're getting back to more normal processes um so yeah so 2022 we'll have our two conferences on the helix on the 7th of july uh in cambridge background research campus and genesis 7th of december um, same venue, One Wimple Street, uh, and we're going for similar formats. So we're keeping the one day of in-person, reconnecting, plenty of time for networking, really top-level discussions with really good speakers, um, and retaining the digital elements on the side of the conferences. So that will be partnering, there will be some online sessions. Um, I guess what we may see evolving a little bit is um, to both conferences, we're taking one day and then the whole week becomes the fringe. So it's only Helix fringe or Genesis fringe. And that includes the digital sessions, but also some other face-to-face -face sessions. So sometimes there's someone who would like to host a networking lunch or so we include that. And I think last year we only had digital, maybe one face-to-face. -face. Um, but we, we're probably going to evolve back to having a bit more of this in-person things happening on the week, maybe slightly less of the digital, but we'll see. Uh, and in terms of big topics, uh, so very quickly on Helix, that's about bio-innovation. It's how all these great technologies are enabling um, companies to do this great work of developing new therapeutics, new diagnostics, etc., and, and the big enablers to that, collaboration pieces and, and um, how to make that happen. Genesis, still focusing a bit more on the big industry picture, so deal flow, that's always one, uh, and well, given how the previous years has been, and I suspect 2022 will be full of surprise again, so there will be discussions around that and, and what that means for the sector at more larger company level. So how um, pharma collaborating maybe more with tech companies, how that's impacting patients. So, so all this, uh, these big discussions that uh, we think are important to reflect on at the end of the year. Yeah, sounds exciting. Thank you so much, Aileen. I'm just going to wrap things up here with um, some quick fire questions, um, which I asked to all of our guests. So just straight off the top of your head, don't think about them too much. So quick fire number one. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? To read people's minds. If you could time travel, where would you go and when? Um, maybe the sort of, you know, 20s, 1920s, this, you know, in between wars where people were just, you know, healing, but at the same time being super creative and lots of things happening. Uh, yeah. Always wanted to see that. Yeah, exciting time. Yeah. And picture the scene. You've been stranded on a desert island, Aileen. What would be your three must-have items? <laughs> oh, uh, a pot of water. <laughs> Otherwise, you just die. No, I'm kidding. Um, I'll need a book um, to just yeah keep your mind occupied. 
Um, and then, yeah, very pragmatic. My bottle of water and some sun cream because otherwise I'll burn. <laughs> <laughs> Practical, useful. I like it. That's great. Um, five, uh, what's your favourite movie and why? Uh, um, I, I always really liked, and that's probably the only one I, I, I can watch several times without problems. Um, the Big Lebowski of the Cohen brothers, just because it's my type of humor it makes yeah. me smile <laughs> right and have you had any music discovery or rediscovery um since the pandemic began yes i re-listened to probably all the beatles albums um and they are now burnt in in the car as well because uh, i don't think i've listened to them properly before so yeah Brilliant. That's fantastic. So you've really taken that on board and, and, and thought, right, I'm going to go start to finish here on the Beatles. Yes, exactly. Well, you know, you needed something to keep you occupied. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. what's the longest discography here? Um, yeah. Great. That's brilliant. Thank you so much, Aileen. Thank you for answering those questions. I think that was an absolutely fascinating journey of discovery. And thank you so much for being a part of this podcast and, and sharing your knowledge experience of adapting a successful event like Genesis into a hybrid model. And I'm sure our listeners will gain very much from hearing your story and journey. So thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Um, thank you for joining the Joining the Dots podcast. Thank you, Paula.